Hey guys, welcome back to 60B Cast. I hope you enjoyed my first cast about Dollhouse. I got some really great feedback from you from the last episode, so I hope you'll keep that coming. There are a few ways I'd like to remind you to get in touch with me. First of all, you'll find all my information listed on 60bcast.net, and you can also follow me on Twitter as well at 60bcast. My email is podcast60b at yahoo.com if you'd like to email me any comments. As a last note, you can also subscribe to my podcast through iTunes. There are several ways you can do this, either search for 60bcast while in iTunes, or you can visit 60bcast.net and subscribe under the links page. You'll also find all my other information there as well if you forget anything. So let's get back to the reason I'm here, and that's to talk to you a little bit more about Dollhouse. We move on with our discussion of Joss Whedon and Eliza Dushku's show with episodes 2 through 5, which appropriately finish out the Fox 5 episodes of Dollhouse Season 1. I call these the Fox 5 because these are the episodes that most people have problems with when they look back at Dollhouse as a whole. I understand their points, but I hope to analyze these a little further to try to figure out the things that really worked with them and maybe some of the things that didn't. I could go anywhere I could be anything for anyone tonight I could do anything As we talked about the two pilots for Dollhouse in the last episode, we're going to begin with Season 1, Episode 2, The Target. We open up The Target with our first set of flashbacks for The Dollhouse. This is Boyd's first day on the job, and The Dollhouse is pretty much a wreck. Everybody's in a frenzy, and we learn that former doll Alpha, who we saw a little bit of in Ghost, has experienced what we know to become a composite event. This basically means that all these personalities that The Dollhouse has placed into Alpha, all these gifts and traits that they've given him throughout his years into the dollhouse, which we're not exactly sure how long he's been there, but all these have formed almost a schizophrenic type personality who can be each one of these. I'm not sure how much in control he was at this point, but he wasn't happy about it, and now the dollhouse is really feeling it. He has, of course, attacked Dr. Saunders. He has taken out quite a few guards, so this isn't a very good first day for Boyd to come into the dollhouse. As we're moving through the dollhouse, kind of following the guards in the flashes, we again see that everyone is pretty much enamored with Echo. The dolls around her in the shower, they've all been killed by Alpha, but she's left untouched. For the most part, the target is probably the most widely accepted, or one of the most widely accepted, of the first five episodes, or the Fox Five as I like to refer to them. I thought the episode was solid. There were some things here and there that were a bit out there, as in Ghost, but for the most part, it was a solid episode, mostly due to the backstory we get not on Alpha, but on Echo and Boyd's growing relationship as Active and Handler. I know the main story to this episode was based on Eliza's actual experience elk hunting in Oklahoma, I believe, with her boyfriend at the time. It was also clearly based on the short story, The Most Dangerous Game, by Richard Connell. This happens to be one of my favorite short stories. I thought this was a good interpretation, updating it to fit the world of Dollhouse, if not a bit overplayed in the media today. Again, there are some great conversations between Boyd and Topher in this episode. Not all as deep necessarily as the morality debates in both the pilot episodes, but still the banter between the two was very fun to watch. 
Topher was definitely the most Whedon-like character, getting most of the one-liners and the Whedon humor. But many people had a lot of problem with this character in the beginning. They found him quite annoying, but I have to say, he was the one that I liked to see on screen, especially if he was interacting with Boyd. I know a lot of people also compared him as, you know, Dollhouse was trying to copy Xander in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I know Xander in the beginning was also kind of seen as an annoying type character, and it took him a while to get in his niche. Even in the flashbacks with of the two meeting, we get the overconfident Topher claiming to be the man behind the curtain and basically saying, you know, I run the dollhouse, I make these imprints, I, I'm basically the man. And then you get cynical boy spouting back, basically saying, Alpha just killed all these people in your house, and you're claiming to be this great scientist. How could you not control that? So I really like this little tidbit to show kind of where they began and to think where they ended in Hollow Men with Topher still respecting Boyd up until the very last second and just in disbelief that Boyd could betray him after all this time. And I, I just really liked their interaction together throughout the entire series. One thing that I really did like in this episode, and it was kind of a small but pretty important detail, it's a scene with Ballard that ties in episodes one and two. Even though the first five episodes seem to be pretty standalone episode of the week type shows, it really needed to get that serial feel to it. And I think this scene did a little bit to further that. I mean, it was nowhere near what Man on the Street and On did, but it did a pretty good job at that. It's just a small scene. It features Ballard revisiting the shack where the kidnappers were holding the child hostage from episode one or ghost and it may seem unimportant when you're watching the target because it doesn't really have much effect on the main story that's happening in that actual episode but to me it really helped build the serialized feel that the show needed and that worked really great for the show Another theme this episode really pushed was the sexual aspects of the engagements, sort of solidifying the gratuitous nature of the dollhouse. If you ever were on the fence about the dollhouse of, you know, they do these things, but maybe they do them for the right reasons. But uh, this engagement probably helped further your initial assumptions that, yeah, these probably aren't the best people who are sending this girl out to the woods with some millionaire, billionaire, however much money he had, to have sex and camp for a week, so I really think everybody's got a pretty clear notion on what side of the fence the dollhouse falls on at this point. As we kind of move back to Boyd's first flashbacks of entering the dollhouse, the writers really let us in on how dangerous Alpha is. He was quick, fast, ruthless, and although one of my favorite parts of the episode is the flashes as opposed to the main story that was going on, um, it was the flashes of Boyd and Echo's relationship. It wasn't the flashes of Alpha. I still hold to the fact that, as I mentioned in Ghost in the last cast, that they showed far too much about Alpha too soon. For the most part, I'm sure the writers were pretty aware that Alpha wouldn't be brought in until mid-season at least. I mean, he could have been brought in even further should they have gotten the back nine. So I'm not sure if they had even cast Alan Tudyk in the role I could be wrong, but I just don't know why you would show so much of him into episode two when you had never really even seen too much of the main characters. You haven't even seen really flashes of Caroline at all. You'd seen two small clips of her in the beginning, 
but why bring in so much about these guest characters unless you're going for a big bad type feel that was featured, you know, a pretty much as a staple in each season of Buffy and to an extent Angel. Some people really may disagree with me on this, but uh, this is just my feeling of showing too much too soon on Alpha. A quick note about the main storyline. I did like this. I know some called it Wrong Turn 2, you know, kind of playing on Eliza's uh, horror movie that she had recently done. But I don't think it's quite fair to the writers. It wasn't the most original, but at the same time, it really fit what Fox was wanting from the show. Fast-paced, action-oriented, with a little mythology and backstory kind of thrown in on the side. So as far as that goes, it actually worked quite well for what they wanted. Another relationship that I think gets pretty often overlooked, and I'll talk more about it as we get later on in the season toward episode 9, uh, Spy in the House of Love, is the Dominic and Adele pairing. They were two pretty cold characters who actually ended up despising each other in Getting Closer, which was season 2, episode 11, but I really liked their initial scenes together. The two had great chemistry for how the scenes were, you know, basically to unfold, and I thought that they played off each other pretty well. But the main focus of this episode, for me, is still the relationship between Boyd and Echo. Even after the ending we get from them in Hollow Men, it's still nice to see him kind of watching over, protecting her, and nurturing her to become self-aware as we go through the journey of the dollhouse. I'm not sure, based on the ending, why Boyd was so apprehensive of the actives in the beginning. I guess it's pretty much just to fit in his act of being a former cop, you know, with a few morals than anyone else there. And let's face it, it wouldn't take a lot to have <laughs> more morals than Topher, uh, especially in the early episodes. But I really thought the target helped kind of solidify their ending. And although it took on a different meaning post Men, it still offered great insight to both of these characters. Another great thing about this episode and about these two characters is the role reversal that takes place at the end of this episode. It kind of begins with Boyd taking care of Echo. You know, he's the new handler coming in. And it ends kind of how the series ends as Echo is the one who takes care of Boyd and takes care of everyone else. So the role reversal of Echo saving Boyd from the hunter was a nice touch for her character ending up as pretty much the savior of the world as Boyd calls her in Hollow Men. And also just a small thing that I noticed at the end uh, scene where Echo comes and lays in Boyd's arms up against the tree, he's bleeding from being shot with an arrow, but it's probably one of the strongest just visual moments of the show. And I know it happened early and, it, and it's in these first five episodes, but it just signified their relationship in the smallest of ways that, yes, she saved them, but in the end, she needs Boyd as much as he needed her. I liked Millie in the beginning. I think she fit with Ballard well, mostly because she was almost as creepy as he was. She stood out in the hallways and waited for him to come in, or she stood behind her door, I guess, and watched out the little peephole. I'm not really sure what she did. She fit well with him, and I guess their romantic relationship throughout the season went really well because they were both equally creepy. All in all, The Target was definitely one of the strongest early episodes to come out of Dollhouse. Although the main storyline is a bit recycled, it was the relationship moments between Boyd and Echo and Boyd and Topher that really drive this episode. But again, the main storyline with Eliza Dishku and guest star Matt Kiesler was just good fun. So I give this episode a B. On to episode 3 of Dollhouse, Stage Fright. We all saw this episode. We know it was Dollhouse's weakest overall. 
so I won't spend too much time discussing it, but I do want to hit a few highlights before I move on to Great Hour. The number one thing that I absolutely loved about this episode is Deech and Lightman. This is really her first chance to step out and kind of shine as Sierra. The Audra imprint that she takes on in this episode is probably one of, if not my favorite imprint that Deechin takes on throughout the entire series. She was just so likable in this role, and I know she said in interviews the reason she works so well with this character is because it was most like her own personality. I do believe this, as I've actually had the chance to have a few conversations with Deechin, and she seems extremely kind, extremely fun, so you gotta give props to her for her work in this episode. Also in this episode, we do see some recycled scenes from the original pilot. I do like that Joss took what he could and kind of cannibalized it into the rest of the series. It was also pretty cool to see them use the location from the original pilot where Ballard initially meets Echo for the first time in the abandoned building. Although the scenes were completely different in this episode, the location remained the same. And as I said in the last cast, the victory reveal wasn't a big shocker to most, but it was nice to finally see Inver in doll state, which I thought he did a great job at. Another good part to this episode was the little character interactions between Echo and Sierra throughout. That's probably the one thing that I loved most about the first few episodes was getting to know these characters and seeing the scenes they had together inside the dollhouse. And the final scene with Echo and Sierra kind of giving a glimpse at each other and not wanting to tip off the handlers and things that they had a sort of sense. I don't know if they 100% remembered, at least on Sierra's part, but, you know, had a sense of a friendship and had a sense of grouping. So I did like to see that evolution of them coming together and eventually coming together with Victor in the next episode. To end on rewatch, this isn't as bad of an episode as I think its reputation allows. However, if you're judging strictly by Whedon standards, you know, it just doesn't live up to the rest of the series or to any other series that he's done. I rated a C plus. I hate to do that, and it's probably the only C-ranged episode you'll find under my dollhouse section. Moving on to episode four, Grey Hour, which I think is actually one of the best episodes of the season and easily my favorite within the first five. The opening to this episode's really nice. In the beginning, you hear a woman moaning and, of course, sexual engagement. This is the dollhouse. That's what immediately comes to mind. But what's really going on is there's a lady in labor. They pan down. We see Echo acting as a midwife on a huge house in the mountains. I did like seeing this type of engagement. I'm not sure exactly why anyone would pay an active as opposed to hiring an actual midwife or a physician, but it was still a nice bit either way. Again, as in stage fright, I liked to see the grouping of the actives. Yes, Echo was progressing faster than the others, but it also showed what seemed to be normal actives evolving as well. This scene, as well as a few others, including the pool scene, are also taken from the original pilot, which may explain why I like this episode so much. I did want to mention again about the bison speech between Boyd and Topher. I spoke of it quickly in the last cast, but I really liked Boyd's tone when he was dealing with Topher here. Their debate on whether or not these people actually signed up to be here is pretty telling, and again you can say these people freely signed up to be a part of this, but as we saw in Ghost, it didn't seem as though Caroline had any choice in the matter, and of course we learned how other actors like Sierra were brought into the dollhouse. Grey Hour enters one major plot device that will come to the forefront in later episodes and even pretty much be the downfall of man, and that's the remote wipe. 
Although Topher and everyone inside the dollhouse haven't tried it or even tested it before, we know that Alpha, with all the geniuses floating around in his head, decides to remote wipe Echo. I thought this was a nice touch, especially to give lead Eliza Dushku a big balance of characters in this episode. She does them all very nicely. Of course, she glides through the character of Taffy easily, but it's the remote white doll that really lets her shine. We've never really seen what a doll would be like outside the guarded spa walls they're used to, and the picture here is not a pretty one. Another nice thing this shows for the Echo character is how much she's being pushed. In season one, not only is Boyd pushing her to reach her full potential, but Alpha is setting up these mind traps throughout, which basically help Echo to find her true self. It's also quite funny that while she's the one being rushed to self-realization in season one, she ends up pushing Victor and Sierra to remember or to evolve in season two as she realizes they're running out of time to stop Rossum's plan. Taffy, our imprint of the week, paid a nice homage to Eliza Dushku's original Whedonverse character, Faith. Even down to the Blue Skies tagline that she had in this episode, it mirrored Faith's iconic 5x5. This is also the first episode to feature another recurring theme that's to come throughout Dollhouse, and that's two members of the core cast taking on the same imprint. Both Deech and Lackman and Eliza Dushku are allowed to play Taffy, and I think Eliza comes out on top with this one. Let me start by saying I do love Deechin. She had some amazing performances throughout Dollhouse, but the imprints I really loved her in were imprints like seen in Stage Fright and a later episode, Haunted. She works well with geeky characters who are a little more laid back, while she also had other good imprints like when she played a spy in the NSA in Episode 9, I believe the reason this imprint worked better than Taffy on her is because of their subtle nature. Yes, she was a spy, but she was quietly tough, brilliant, and confident, as opposed to Taffy, who was pretty much balls to the wall 24-7. And again, I know this is open to interpretation, but I really liked Eliza here. Another quick side note I'd like to throw out there is Lisa LaPera as Ivy. I thought she provided a lot of comic relief with her relationship and banter with Topher, even if she wasn't on screen as much as some of the other supporting cast, I thought she did a really good job. There were a lot of powerful moments in Grey Hour, and the end didn't disappoint. The scene of Echo making a face in the steam of the bathroom mirror, kind of likening how the dollhouse puts new faces on top of her. But as she wipes away the steam to reveal herself, it almost signifies her journey of defying them and finding her true self, Caroline if you will, underneath all the imprints and all the abilities that they've given her. Episode 4 of Dollhouse rated a strong B-plus in my book. There was so much to this episode, so many little things I could spend hours talking about overanalyzing, but things I won't bore you with here. And let's get down to our final episode for this cast, True Believer. This episode for me was another step in the right direction. I remember I was actually a part of a live chat during this episode's initial airing, and everybody was entirely creeped out by the first scene. The large cult, the buzz, singing hymns, it was all pretty scary. And I guess that's largely due to the fact that this was the first episode written by executive producer and writer Tim Minear. Even though I wasn't a huge fan of Valor during season one, the scene with him trying to coax the FBI agent into trying to scan his photo is actually quite funny. There was another version of this scene in the original pilot, but I like the version here even more because after he tries to flirt and it doesn't work, he begins to grab his side in sympathy and mention he was shot. 
pretty funny, and if nothing else, I always like their scenes together, mostly because of her, but they were great scenes. The discussions that take place in this episode between Dr. Saunders and Topher were really interesting and completely telling to their characters. Topher wanted to do this procedure to blind Echo, not caring the consequences of his actions, but just wanting to pretty much put himself on a pedestal in front of the dollhouse, while Dr. Saunders was far more worried about the actual consequences and the long-term effects that Echo could have from this procedure. Even down to the terms he uses to describe the procedure, he goes over DeWitt's head basically just trying to sound smarter and better when the doctor actually uses layman's terms and explains it quite well. I have to say, the side story between Victor and Sierra is pretty hilarious in this episode. When Sierra's in the shower and Victor's staring at her, you probably would think it's a little creepy, but knowing they have a mind of children, it comes across as hilarious. When he looks down at himself and he's he's kind of like, what's that? What's happening to me? I don't know. I roll every time during the scene and I find it really hilarious. Dr. Saunders and Topher's conversation of this occurrence is equally as funny. Topher's protest of using any other term but man reaction shows that, although he may be the smartest guy in the room, his adolescence is far above the rest. I have to speak of two last things about this episode. First is Dominic's hatred for Echo. It's so much so that he tries to kill her at the end of True Believer. We know he has threatened the addict to both Echo and DeWitt, but when it looks like she's not heading there, he decides to take matters into his own hands, which is the first time we see someone in the dollhouse actually going after an active and physically trying to harm them. This episode also features the first mention of Miss Lonely Hearts, who we'll come to talk about in episode 9, but I have to say that that was one of the most shocking things about season 1. There were a lot of times that you could say, oh this person looks like a doll and this person looks like a doll, well I see this so this person could be a doll, but that just that hit me out of nowhere. And again, we'll talk about that when we get to A Spy in the House of Love. True Believer was a solid outing from Dollhouse and was one of the better editions of the first five episodes. My rating for episode five was a B. Before we end, there are a couple people that I'd like to thank uh, for helping me get my first podcast off the ground or giving me feedback on my podcast, or maybe even inspiring me to start podcasting in the beginning. And the first person I'd like to thank is Cindy Mueller. She has been pretty much a guinea pig throughout this whole process of me trying to figure out the world of podcasting. And she's kind of listened to my podcast before I put them on the web and given me some good helpful hints. So I really appreciate her. You can actually follow her on Twitter at Cindy Mueller. Another person I'd like to thank who helped me out a little bit in the beginning and who gave me some feedback, and who also kind of helped me get into podcasting, and that's Stephanie Smith. She runs a podcast called Confessions of an Internet Addict, and you can find her podcast at confessionsofaninternetaddict.net, and you can also follow her on Twitter at Steph Smith. Another person who I didn't know before I started podcasting, but who really helped to get my podcast out there by putting it on Whedon-esque was John Pavlich. He is the host of Sofa Dogs podcast, and you can find his podcast listed at sofadogs.libsyn.com, and you can also follow him at John Pavlich on Twitter. The final person I'd like to thank is Brian from the Hellmouth podcast. 
He helped me out a pretty great deal after the first episode. He gave me some pointers from his work in podcasting, and he also helped me out with my internet site and a few questions that I had about iTunes and a few other things. So he was a great help and also a reason that I got into podcasting as he was one of the first podcasts that I subscribed to and have been listening to throughout. And I'm also going to play a quick promo for his podcast, so I hope you'll check it out. You can follow him on Twitter at Hellmouthcast, or you can visit his internet site, hellmouthpodcast.com, to subscribe through iTunes. If it's not vampires, it's the end of the world, and it's just another day living on the Hellmouth. Introducing the Hellmouth Podcast, where your host Brian takes you on an in-depth review of Joss Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. Episode recaps, character discussions, and Brian rambling like a gibbering fool. We get below the surface and talk about the Buffyverse like you've never heard before. Once again, we see Xander struggling with his caveman DNA. Hello is crying, and immediately I go into super mega ultra alpha protective mode. In order for Buffy the Vampire Slayer to succeed, Buffy Summers must fail. So head on over to www.hellmouthpodcast.com or iTunes and listen as if the world were going to end tomorrow, because living on the Hellmouth, it just might. The Hellmouth Podcast. Listen or go to hell. Thank you again to everyone who is listening week to week. I hope you'll officially subscribe through iTunes if you haven't already. You'll find the link to subscribe on my website at 60bcast.net, or you can search 60bcast on iTunes. To get in touch with me, follow me on Twitter at 60bcast, or email me at podcast60b at yahoo.com. All your comments are much appreciated. Did I miss 60b? Did I miss 60b? Did I miss 60B? God, no!